Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. Thank you for that awesome intro, and thank you for the cup of coffee. Last week, people, we had an awesome show. You talking about, you know, crickets. You talking about active chat. You talking about people being healed, delivered, and touched. I already know we're going to have to have a part two on narcissistic abuse and domestic violence. And I think it's going to be sometime in October. But thank you for the feedback. Thank you for the donations. Thank you for the kind words. Because last week's show represented the core of what we do here at Southern Soul, which is we are a community that learns together. So thank you, guys. But without any further ado, I would like to tell you about Mrs. Betty Walker, which is going to be our first spotlight for tonight. But let me tell you a little bit about her. Betty Walker has more than three decades of professional experience in advisory, leadership, and administrative capacities. Her professional background includes legal, office administration, process improvement, corporate governments, employee-employer mediation, nonprofit management, and publishing. Y'all already know she's an entrepreneur, and y'all know I love entrepreneurs, right? Miss Betty, Miss Betty, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. You know, I am so excited to have you here tonight. And, you know, I just love the story of how we connected. Because let me tell you guys, we, we did a show some time ago. And, you know, Miss Betty submitted feedback. And I kind of checked her out because I always do, you know, check out the people who show up. And I was like, hmm, she looks interesting. So I was like, Miss Betty, we should talk. And Miss Betty was like, what? I'm not interesting. I'm like, mm-mm. I already know. So, Miss Betty, tell the people something about you. And, you know, I just want to say thank you for being here because, you know, what we do at Southern Soul is we call um, hidden gems of the community. Mm-hmm. So if you guys know people like Miss Betty out there who out there doing their thing, but they can be almost a hidden gem of their community, those are the people we're looking for. But, Miss Betty, tell us about you. Um, well, one of the things that, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate being on this platform and sharing uh, with such like-minded people. Um, this has been such a blessing for me. Um, but you've already introduced um, a, a portion of my background as from a education, from a, um, I guess, professional perspective. Uh, educationally, I have a um, uh, um, bachelor's in graphic design. I have a master's in human services counseling. Um, But what I think I'm most proud of at this point in my life is the fact that most recently I've been writing uh, and working on a manuscript um, surrounding black trauma. Uh, And and one of the things that I'm really looking forward to do is to share some of my experiences and stories based on my um, recognition of some of the trauma that I went through growing up and understanding how that played into the person that I have uh, come to be right now. So that's what I'm hoping that I'll be able to share with your audience today. 
Awesome, awesome. And, you know, I love a story. Uh, 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 we call that that origin story, and I love that. But before we get into your story, tell us about your career and your hobbies. You know, what do you do professionally? Because one thing I, I like that you've done is, you know, you haven't always done what you do now. You've kind of evolved from different things. Tell us about, you know, your career progression and some of the things you've done. Okay. Well, I, I started out... Um, of course, when I graduated, you know, hopefully at some point I'll share this uh, aspect of my life with you as far as my transition in education from coming from a military background. And then when my dad retired, um, coming back to the States and being placed in a four room black schoolhouse, um, I come from a, a generation <clears throat> where my parent, my parents both were two from two generations, one from the uh, what they call the great generation, which is the war, World War II generation. And then my mom coming from what they call the silent generation. But what was really fascinating for me in the course of me writing about some of my own trauma was that my parents never really talked to me about a racism. They never prepared me to transition from a multicultural learning environment and into a four-room black schoolhouse. So I think as I shared with you before, part of the challenge I had um, coming out of school was that I had, when uh, integration happened, because obviously when I went to the four-room school, black schoolhouse, um, there was no integration at the time as, you know, I was under the, uh, the concepts of um, segregation and Jim Crow laws and all of those things that we had to go through at that time and not being prepared for that transition. Uh, one of the things that I went through was that my parents or the uh, black teachers that I had didn't know how to accelerate my learning beyond what I had already, you know, where I was and then take me on further. So what they did ultimately was just to um, keep me back with the rest of the students. Well, as a result of that, I became a slow learner. Um, so from that time until I would say the time that I graduated from high school, I didn't really, I didn't have the comprehension level and I didn't have the, um, the insight and the tools to really know what I wanted to do in life. I think the only thing that I thought about was, well, let me go into business. Well, unfortunately, I didn't have the grades in high school to transition. So I wound up going into the one thing that I love, which was uh, graphic design or art for me at that time was how I interpreted it. Um, so I went into that and that was sort of uh, my leeway into uh, entering into the publishing business, which is something that I love. And I still do some, to some extent, still do that now. Um, and then from there, um, made a transit. I was up in, uh, uh, up in New Jersey, New York area for a good period of my life. Then when I made the transition back to Virginia, which is my home state, I couldn't get back into my field because I was I came from the uh, pace, the mechanical perspective and everything had transitioned over into computers. By that time, I didn't have that skill set. And obviously, at that time, people were not willing to train you. They wanted you to come on board with those skills already intact. Um, so from there, I made the transition into admin work, had to start at the bottom of the rung and work my way back up financially, uh, eventually uh, transitioned into legal, uh, which I absolutely love because I love being able to have some knowledge of how the legal system works. Uh, and while at one of the, for the last firm that I was, was at, one of the things that 
um, I had an opportunity to do was to serve as a mediator and an advocate between the attorneys and the and the management and the staff. So what would happen is that when one of the employees, receptionists, secretaries, whatever the case may be, had a, a problem with one of the attorneys or management, they would come to our group of people. This is a peer elected group. Uh, and we they would share their concerns and then we would act as a mediator between them and the employer. Uh, that was sort of the, the open and the segue into me having uh, a desire to really help people and to really get into counseling. And so that um, in 2004, 2013, I made the decision to go back and get my master's. I think I was either in my late 50s or early 60s by that time. So it's kind of late you're trying to get a master's. But at any rate, um, went into counseling, got my degree. It was a one-year program. So I finished that. And then I started my business, which is B. Walker Consultants, LLC. And primarily what I do right now is to really... Um, uh, focus on what my focus is right now is to really pour back into the black community. I think uh, black people as a whole have suffered a tremendous amount of trauma over our lives as a result of many different things that have influenced us. And, and one of the things that I've observed in my study of that is that we tend to be as black people, very benevolent people. We're always helping other people, pouring into other people's visions and dreams but we don't pour back into ourselves and or we haven't really even learned how to communicate with each other and interact so that we can be a support to each other. So that has sort of now gravitated to where I am in my business is offering, you know, I want to be able to do some small group counseling with people. I want I love to do and I do currently a lot of one-on-one -on -one interactions with people. You know, I like to be able to uh, help people to find their purpose in life and to really uh, launch forth from that because I think that each of us are gifted with certain um, uh, certain gifts, talents, skills that just need to be developed. You know, if you come from a generation like mine where no one poured into you and talked to you about what you could potentially be in life, um, you go through life not knowing what I can do and what I can be. And you just kind of have to hit and miss, figure it out as you go. And that's really not a good way for us to um, mature and to progressively move forward in life. You always need somebody that can kind of pour into you. So that's kind of, you know, the short of the long story. Yeah, well, well, thank you for sharing that. I'm telling you what I love about your story is that there's so many themes in there. The themes of it's never too late. The themes of continuing education, the things of, hey, this is the hand I was dealt, but let me, you know, make the best of it. And I love those nuances, right? And I, I love how you describe the Black culture when you kind of, I haven't really thought about that before. You say, you know, we're benevolent people, yeah. right? And I love that because if you think about it, you know, it kind of describes some this landscape a little bit. So I like that, you know, but let's get into your story a little bit, right? You know, mm -hmm. early you talked about, you know, going from the advanced, you know, schooling to a slow learner. Tell us mm -hmm. about that, because this is kind of like your origin story of how you're getting started. You know, what was going on during that time when you were in, like you said, one education environment and went to another? Give us a backdrop on that. Well, again, as I said, um, part of the challenge, what, what I think was really interesting for me, I mean, I, I understand it now, honestly, as a child, I didn't really make this connection 
But to just understand that um, as a child, you can't really process what's happening to you. You just kind of do it because your parents tell you to do it. And so there was there that was there was that that dynamic of really not being able to have a voice because I didn't know what voice to have as a child. And so I think it's important that uh, adults and parents recognize that it is important for us to be able to be advocates for our children. Uh, in my case, my parents didn't have that skill set. You know, I think one of the things I share with you is how generationally, every generation can only give the next generation what has been poured into them. Uh, and we spend a lot of times, I think those of us that have matured have come to a place where we sometimes we have regrets and we're mm -hmm. kind of bitter towards the things that our parents did not do or they failed us uh, in. And, and what, I, what I've learned for myself is that, you know, you can't really fault the previous generation because they can only give you what they receive. But uh, every generation has a responsibility. And, and what we do now, we don't work for ourselves. We're not doing any of the things that we're doing because of who we are and what we want. It really is to invest into the next um, generation, to give them wisdom, to impart to them um, the mistakes that we've made. So there, it comes to a point of knowing how to be transparent and honest about what your flaws are, what your shortcomings are, the things that you learn and how you process that, how you got past that. And so for me, the educational piece was just really interesting for me to go back and reflect on. Uh, and, and I have to say that in the, initially, I really didn't think about any of this. It was only as a result of me starting to really revisit the trauma in my life and analyzing it and processing it and praying about it and really letting God show me me um, in the midst of it. And I think the thing that was always really amazing to me is how um, I, I, I'm a person of faith. And so for me, you know, you can go through life with a certain perspective of who you are and what you have to offer, but God can show you some, your potential that's way far beyond that. And I would say that at this point in my life, I'm really just coming in to the being that I'm supposed to be where I feel like I can be an asset and I can be a support and a help to other people. But getting back to the educational piece, um, it was challenging for me because on one hand, I loved being in an all black environment because that was something I never had had. Hmm. Um, I had always been in a situation where I was always in a multicultural um, military type of a school system where I interacted with children from all races and cultures and backgrounds. And, and so for me, racism and the challenges that black people were facing in the United States was something that had even entered my mind. I just thought, as a child, and we're talking about maybe from six to eight, eight or nine years old, I just thought this was the way of life for everybody. It never occurred to me that there was differences, you know, based on the color of my skin. Um, and so it was somewhat traumatic for me um, coming back to the States and finding out these differences were very prevalent in the United States and that that I was looked at differently, I was treated differently. I can remember uh, one of the interesting things about uh, when I went to the four room black schoolhouse is that we didn't have a library. 
So we had what we call a bookmobile that would come around and that's how we got our books. Um, we didn't have, you know, like a cap. Well, we had a, a cafeteria, but it was also a pseudo classroom. Um, and so we had things like um, there would be a truck that come around and sell us penny candy and that type of the thing. And so the, just the juxtaposition between what I had come from and what I entered into, it, you know, I had a lot of mixed emotions about it. On one hand, it was it was so drastically different that I really couldn't really understand what was taking place, but I just kind of went along with it. But on the other hand, I love the interaction uh, uh, with my people, you know, because I was with people who knew me and understood me and looked like me and went through the same um, changes that I went through outside of, you know, them having not been exposed to the military. Um, and, and just really culturally, you know, uh, it, for me, you know, I, my, my mother's uh, parents, were farmers. So they, you know, they butchered every year and they had a full garden. They had apple trees and apple trees, uh, apple trees, cherry trees on their property. Um, and just, you know, we used to have this thing where uh, every Thanksgiving, the community would come together and help my grandparents butcher. And, you know, we, we always have this, the dinner setting, I think for me was the part that I remembered the most because there was this formality to it that um, the men always ate first because they were the ones that had labored all day. And then the children would eat next. And then those of us, the women who had been preparing, you know, food or whatever the place during the course of while they were doing what they needed to do, we would eat last. And there was always this formality to it that I loved because it, you know, it was almost like putting some type of structure in place where we we engaged each other. And there's always plenty of food. There was always homemade bread and you know fresh meat and canned um, canned or frozen vegetables straight from the garden. There was you know my grandparents didn't have to go to the store for anything. You know, except, you know, if they wanted something that maybe was different. But in the community that I lived, uh, I, I lived in uh, a community called Elton, Virginia, um, and the Black community was called Newtown. And so just that in infusion of the Black culture was very enriching for me, you know, because, uh, again, it was something I had never been exposed to. And it, and it was wonderful. You know, I remember, so I remember us driving up, my cousin's side driving up, you know, we're, I, we lived in the Shenandoah Valley and we were surrounded by the Blue Ridge Mountains. We would go up to the mountain and get fresh water that was flowing out of the rocks of the mountain. That's where we got our water from, or we had a, or people would have a well, you know? And so it, it, that just a little bit of the tidbit of my experiences. Well, you know, I tell you what I love about your story is that even though we're obviously um, different generations, so much of your story reminds me of growing up. And a part of your story I love is that when I look at life and look at people, let me get closer to the mic, is that sometimes a lot of time we only have one experience, right? I like the way you tell your story in that, you know, you said your parents were multiple generations, right? Um, mm -hmm. Eras. And then you come about and you had these multiple experiences. You're in this military, multicultural environment. Yes. And you just live in life. You're a kid. And then all of a sudden you come back. Your father retires. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And now you come back to the domestic world to discover, wow, it's a little different. But as a kid, you still can't digest it. You just know it's very different. Yes. You know, it's less multicultural. There's less resources. There's less libraries. And I love that because a lot of times in life, I see people only know one thing. You know, in Atlanta, all they know is Atlanta. I call it Wakanda, right? They think the mm-hmm. rest of the world is just like Wakanda. I'm like, no, y'all need to travel, right? Mm-hmm. But what I love about your story is that you've experienced these different parts of life. And I, what I really, really enjoyed is when you said, hey, I haven't always been a writer, but I started writing my story. Mm-hmm. And as I started writing my story, these things started being revealed to me. Also known as, you know, when we slow down a little bit and start thinking, right. then your story begins to come out. And I just love that process because the process is that I think how you described it like, hey, this environment may have been less resources. It was all black. But I hear your story and it's like the community, the people, right, the love. You know, the simple things, it seemed like you really enjoyed it. And I'm just, I'm just telling you what I'm hearing, but I love that about your story. Yes, yes. And I, and, I, and for me, I think that that may, to some degree, have been how I migrated to where I am now and understanding that, um, to, to me, Black people do have value. Uh, it was so, I, I think I was sharing with you the other night how I was on um uh, I was responding to a post on Facebook and I was t- I was sort of sharing with some of the people on the post. Um, they were the, the subject or the topic that the person had initially uh, posted about was on reparations. And so I my comment was that I don't think that we will ever live to see the possibility of reparations because America was not willing to re- to acknowledge the atrocities done to black people not to mention the fact that they won't apologize for it. Uh, And I said, however, for me, my focus now is not so much as what can, you know, what America can do for me, but what can I do for my people? Because our people, our people are suffering. Our people have, but you know, so many of our children, you know, we have not shared our, our stories. We have not shared how they can overcome certain things. We have not, you know, if you, like I said, if you come, if you're in the baby boomer generation like I am, you know, you had to kind of reinvent yourself. There was no opportunity for you to say, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. You know, here here are my goals and objectives in life. We didn't have any of that. We had to kind of figure stuff out, make a lot of mistakes in life and learn from those mistakes. Well, unfortunately, a lot of us We've gone through the problem issues, but we never recovered from it. And to me, that's where the trauma comes in is that, first of all, we don't want to really, we haven't really come to a place where we can have an honest conversation with ourselves and really go back and reflect and digest and, you know, think about why do I act the way I do? Why do I speak the way I do? You know, how did all of these things, these influences that happened to me, how it caused me to be who I am today? And how do I need to improve so I can be an asset and benefit to somebody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you you go to a good point. And I want to kind of, you know, talk about this whole, and I love this phrase because I hadn't heard it in a long time. Um, But it's a two-part question. Part B of the question is, you know, you talk about a lot of part of racism in society you didn't really understand until you turned 60. So that's part B. 
Mm-hmm. But part A is this phrase, men talk to boys and women talk mm-hmm. to girls. Right. How do you feel that, you know, with this belief or this behavior that you think your parents may have left you somewhat vulnerable in understanding racism and things that were going on? Right. Yeah, that that was sort of a, um, I guess you could say a perspective that my, my dad had. Um, and, and you have to understand that he came from a military background. Uh, he also came from a generation who didn't really pour into him. And so he had a very square box perspective of, of how men relate to women, men, you know, and vice versa. And his, his perspective was that men are responsible for teaching and training the boys and women are responsible for teaching and training the girls. Well, one of the things that I write about in my book is how when my mother died at the age of 41, and I remember there was, you know, to some degree, there was always contention between my dad and I, for you know, mostly just because I was maturing and trying to find my place in life. Um, but I remember sitting down with him and telling him, you know, I said, OK, you know, dad, you know, I was very close with my mom. Um, I'm going to need your support more than ever. Um, and, you know, just trying to find a medium where we could connect. And that was his response. I mean, he says, well, I'm sorry. Men talk to boys. Women talk to girls. And I said, but I don't have a mother anymore. So, you know, uh, this is where I, you come in. And he says, I'm sorry. So part of that champ trauma for me was understanding that at that point, I felt abandoned as a woman, you know, and that the, the man that I had already always known as my father had somehow disconnected from me because he didn't have the tools in his mind or resources to pour into me, not recognizing that the same things he poured into his son which is my brother, is what he would have needed to give to me. But he had a very um, inside-the-box perspective of things. So, you know, again, part of my trauma was I carried that for many years and had to accept the fact to understand what was his mindset. Why did he, you know, he didn't do it because he didn't love me or he didn't care about me. It was his perspective based on what he had internalized as a result of his own trauma and his own experiences. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that. And I see in the comments, you know, someone has had a similar experience. As you know, this is part one of what my eyes have seen. And it's a series that we do um, based on what I call generational stories. And generational stories is just a form of digital storytelling. One of the key principles we have here at Southern Soul is that if we don't tell our stories, then who will? Yes, exactly. You know, our stories are so, so important. Because if we don't tell our story, then we repeat the same mistakes. And I'm so, so excited by the fact that you're writing and that you're getting your story out and you're revisiting these things. And even though you're obviously from a different generation that had different principles, you are embracing what works. And Mm -hmm. I love that. So tell me this, you know, as we begin to kind of think about next week, and I'm going to ask the same question to Kathy when she comes on, is based on what your eyes have seen. What is your recommendation to the next generation based on what you have seen and what you hope? As you said, you know, it comes a time where you're pouring into the next generation. Mm -hmm. What would be your thoughts and recommendations for the next generation? And what I'm going to just summarize all of this is, you know, 
would you consider that society has improved based on what your eyes have seen? Has society remained the same? Or, you know, what is your advice that you would give based on what your eyes have seen? Well, I, I think, you know, as far as society is concerned, you know, to me, things seem to be waxing worse. But I think a large part of that is because we have not, uh, particularly as Black people, given voice to the things that we needed to. We have in some ways retreated, you know, to our own corners for whatever reason. Um, but I think it's important that we now begin to speak about what we know because there have been things that have been deposited in us that is very enriching. And you have to really begin to see your own value as a black person, what you bring to the table. I have a, a t-shirt um, that I purchased from someone that says, you know, I belong, I, I belong on the table, on the call, in the room, you know, and, and I think that that's the mindset that we have to have. So I would tell the young generation, what is most critical for you to do is to, first of all, respect and honor your past, okay? Because there's wisdom and there's experiences that you can draw from that will help you as you move forward in life. So don't disrespect people in, you know, that came before, came before you, you know, as though they don't have any value or anything. As I said, they can only give you what was deposited in them. But I believe that's the way it's supposed to be because generationally, we should be progressing forward with each generation. There's new technologies, there's new experiences, there's new things that we can learn and draw from. So draw from that, utilize that. Don't belittle it, bemoan it. Draw from those experiences, take what you've been given, build upon it, you know, and then give that to the next generation that comes after you. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about um, your business and your awesome website. So what type of services do you provide? Um, do you, and Tamika's going to drop your website in the chat. Tell us about how people can contact you and what should they look for when they do contact you? Uh, sure. I would say that principally um, my focus right now is, as I said, one-on-one uh, -on -one counseling. You know, my title is personal development counselor, um, mental health advocate and mediator. And those are really the concentrations behind where I am right now in wanting to engage people in one-on-one -on -one conversations. I'm also part of uh, community conversations, um, whether it's in the faith community or just um, in the general public with other people that I support. Um, but I think it's very important that we engage and that we, that we talk and that we not that we learn, that we find a path to being transparent. Um, so a lot of what I do is really to speak into people's lives. Do you know, my goal is not to question what you wanna do, but, but help you to give you a more holistic perspective of life. And, you know, to help you make that next step and transition. Because ultimately, if you find out what your purpose is and what, what you're gifted at, you will pursue that, you know, and that's the thing that I've learned about me as a writer. I never, I didn't start out, you know, with any concept. I didn't have a desire to write. It wasn't in my mind. I hadn't prayed about it. It was just something that God spoke to me about and told me to start doing. And it took me probably, it took for me to write my first book. It was a process of over 17 years, just because mm -hmm. there was the struggle between me not wanting to accept the possibility that I could do something I'd never done 
And then when I came into it, recognizing that, oh, I, I, I'm really good at this. Wow. You know, because I have a story to tell. I love that. Yeah, so that, that's primarily what I do. You know, alternately, um, you know, I do edit book manuscripts and write uh, content for people. But right now, I'm really more focused on finishing this book. So that's sort of where the writing piece comes in. Awesome, awesome. And I know you got one book published and another one on the way. I want to yes. read to the audience one of the quotes. And, and Katie really appreciated this quote. She says, did she say this? I'm like, yes. When we did the discovery session, this is her quote. And this is your quote. Our trauma is more layered, extensive, and intrinsic than any other group of people. Mm-hmm. And I believe that to be true. So if you're listening and if you're in this recording, I think if you're looking for someone to just talk through to, you know, almost like a life coach, almost like somebody to bounce ideas off of. Did you want to talk to Miss Betty Walker? Because she's a person that has evolved. She's a person who has taken whatever she was given and made the best of it. They call it lemons to lemonade. So Miss Betty, thank you for being here. Thank Thank you for sharing your story. We appreciate you and we see you. If you would hang tight as we transition to our next segment, what we're going to do is Q&A at the end. But if you're in the audience, start typing your question now. If you have questions for Miss Betty, we're going to pull her back after we um, chat with Kathy. And then we're going to have, you know, an opportunity to just kind of talk about that. And once again, this is part one of a two-part series. Next week's series is What My Eyes Have Seen, part two, anti-blackness, social justice, policing, and reparations. But this is part one where we want to kind of dig into the history. And we're talking to some boomers tonight. Next week, we're going to be talking to um, one person who's a millennial and one person who's Generation X. And we're going to have similar conversations, but we're going to cover the generations in this discussion. So, Miss Betty, thank you. And Kathy, you are on deck. Let's see here. I'm going to add Kathy. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Uh, oh, okay, what do you think? I can hear you. Can you hear okay. me? Okay. Yep. Yeah. What do you think about? Um, Miss Betty, Miss yeah, that's, that's going to be a hard act to follow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. Wow. Yes. So good. Yes. You know, you know, when I do these segments, what I do is I, you know, I find the synergies and I kind of look at, you know, what we have in common. And what I enjoy about your story is that your story is an awesome, unique story. What I love about it, as I was telling Miss Betty, because, you know, she was so excited. We got on the phone the other day. We must talk for 30 minutes. Ow, I don't know how long. <laughs> but we just kind of talked about it, right? And I let her know. I said, I'll tell you what these stories have in common. Both of you all have a story to tell. And both of you are from similar generations. Mm-hmm. And as part one segment, we're covering a little bit of history and a little bit of what your eyes have seen. And then next week, we're going to come back and see the next generation okay. of what their eyes have seen. And I have a prediction, right, on Inside Scoop. There may be some things that ain't changed much mm. over time. Yeah. So as Ms. Betty said, we got to pass this stuff to the next generation yeah. because they say, if you don't know your history, then you're doomed to repeat it. That's but that's true. just a foresaddle for next week. But Kathy... If you don't mind introducing yourself and letting us know who you are, let the people know who you are. Miss Kathy Murray. Okay. Hi, I'm Kathy Murray. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. 
born and raised, um, uh, attended uh, the Ohio State University. The Ohio State. The Ohio State University. Uh, while I was there, yeah, I was always involved with fitness. You know, I was a cheerleader there, was in, a fitness instructor. Um, from there, I wanted to be something in the medical profession. My mother was, is, it was an, is a nurse. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I can do something in the medical profession. So um, right after college, of course, the way things are, I entered a national aerobic championship. Ended up winning that, traveling all over the country, went to Japan, um, came back. Uh, then I said, okay, now I'm going to uh, go into my career, use my degree. And uh, so I started in medical sales um, and um, probably, I probably was there for, in medical sales, maybe five years. Okay. Um, yeah, from there, I was like, this is not going to be long term <laughs> in, in medical sales. I was always teaching fitness um, part time while I was in medical sales. Um, then my I had a really good friend named Madonna Grimes that said, hey, we have someone we have an uh, opening in Japan. Can you go for a month? Well, anyone knows when you're in, in a career, you cannot go anywhere for a month and leave your job. So my um, my manager said, absolutely not. You can't be out of your t- territory. Um, at that time, I actually transferred to Pittsburgh with my medical sales job. So I said, you got to have something for two weeks. You know, you get that big two week vacation. And I said, let me I, I'll, I can go. And I can take the break. And she said, well, I have something in Germany and Italy. Do you want to go? I'm like, yes. Went and uh, did a stint there teaching um, fitness. And then came back with medical sales. Um, then from there, an opening came up in, in Germany. And that's when I said, okay, this, I don't know what I, I know what I don't want to do. And that was medical sales, but I'll go, I have a job in Europe and I'll figure it out. Um, and uh, ended up, uh, actually, that was a six month contract that turned into five years. And um, I was uh, lucky to, to make a, uh, to write a book about my experience. Awesome. You know, I, I love people who shift careers because just so you guys know, you know, the first 10 years of my career, one company, right? You know, right. decade. The second 10 years, you know, 10 companies, right? So 11 companies, right? right? So initially that first shift was like scary. It was like weird, right? But, you know, I came through during a time where the right was on the wall. They were like, hey, people don't stay at one company anymore. But nobody told you what to do. They just told you times to change. They didn't mm-hmm. tell you what to do differently. But I was kind of trying to be proactive. I'm like, oh. after 10 years, I'm like, okay, you're going to make a decision. Either you're going to, one, try to sit here for 30 years, which I didn't think that was going to happen, <laughs> or go out and explore. And I decided to go out and explore. So as I hear your story, you know, I get excited because I know those feelings, those emotions that stepping out on faith that be like, hey, I know what I'm made of. I know I can do it. Right. So I only imagine yeah. you were going through that stuff. Am I, am I getting a little close? Yes, you were. And and I, I when I got the job to go to Germany, uh, of course, my parents were like, what are you doing? You know, you, you don't know the language. You don't know anyone. And I like said, took that leap of leap of faith and said, you know, what's the if I could have should have would have, you know, I have to do this. If, if I fail, I always thought, OK, I have the safety net to come back to to medical sales. Um, but let me go over and figure it out. And and my my father was definitely that old school. You stay in the job 20, 25 years, 
You get your pension. You don't have to like it. That's what you do. It's, it's not about liking your job. You know, my mother was a little bit more supportive. She said, let her go. And, um, you know, she'll figure it out. So, yes, it is very scary because I was going to a foreign country. Wow. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. You know, I, I love the way you tell your story because, you know, sometimes people think it's easy for you to do what you do. Right. But I like the way you describe your parents. You know, I mean, you're like, uh-uh, there was still pensions going on. There was still, you know, a different path. But what I also love is doing that, you know, you're into fitness. You've always been into fitness. You some kind of way managed to follow your passion. Mm-hmm. And my belief, my belief, right, if people follow their passion, the money, the jobs will come. But I think you may have learned that along the way. I'm going to guess that. But before we, um, you know, jump into that, I, I want to hear about your story because the theme for tonight is what my eyes have seen. Mm-hmm. And I know from your story of when you went to Germany, you begin to experience and see some things. And we're going to drop your book. Um, you have an awesome, you know, book that's on Audible that people can listen to. But, you know, tell us about you know, when you went to Germany, what you experienced in Germany and how you end up producing and creating this book. So let's just take us to Germany. What happens? How did okay. you get there? Uh, I got there because the, one of the um, the studios I had taught, taught um, actually hired American instructors. And I had been over there as a national aerobic champion um, when I went over there to teach. So they were like, great, you're going to be the next American to come to um, to Germany and teach. Um you know, they, they, they paid well. Um, they, they definitely, um, uh, you, you, you know, educators were, were well paid, you know, even if you're a fitness, um, the it, what was tough there, the challenge obviously was German. You know, I didn't speak German when I got there. I was, you know, if, if you want to learn any language, um, whatever country you need to live there. <laughs> you have no choice but to learn the language. Um, so the language is, was a little difficult, was well, really difficult. Um, and just the challenge, the challenge is cultural because not only did I have to go through a lot of uh, racism, but anti-American. Mm-hmm. So I even found some of my white counterparts, you know, were being discriminated because we were American. So it was kind of a double-edged sword there. Um, um, You know, not being able to get an apartment because you're Black. I remember I had a roommate who was half German that was with me at Ohio State, and she was a journalist, uh, working as a journalist over in Germany. So it was great when I got there because she could help me navigate and, you know, um, um, with the language and things like that. So for... uh, uh, for example, we I needed to get an apartment. I was subletting a musician's apartment, but it was time for him to come back. And so this was obviously before the internet. We looked in the paper, called a couple apartments. I wanted something furnished. And um, I could hear her saying, hey, we're going to come over. This, is, this apartment's available. Let's go. So she said, okay. We get there. And as soon as we get there and I can hear her, I could hear enough German where she was saying, yeah, but, you know, just five minutes ago, you said it was available and now it's not available. So when I would show up, you know, they were like, oh, no. And, and it was and I was American. So then we the second this went on for two or three times. And she's looking at me like, I don't get it. We just keep calling. And when you, we show up, 
it's 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 not it's not taken. It's just that it's not available anymore. So those are the type of things that I had to go through. I ended up actually getting an apartment. One of my students who was German was an attorney and she went to the, the owner of one of the apartments and said, OK, I vouch for her. She's going to pay. I mean, I had a visa and everything to work there. And um, so those were some of the things that were happening uh, when I got to Germany. Wow. So yeah. before you went, were you like optimistic? Were you aware of racism? Were you thinking like what? Give us the context before you went there. I I didn't even think about the, the racism. Mm-hmm. I just thought this is an opportunity. You don't like what you're doing now. This is an opportunity to do, follow my passion and do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I even thought anything about it. I thought this is a, a new adventure. Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's going to be a great experience for me to be able to, to, live, to live abroad and, and see other countries. And I had some friends that were already there because they were bringing Americans over for a certification program to, to, um, to um, certify the, the, the Germans. And, and I went to Italy also. So I don't even think that even was on my radar about uh, racism when I when I moved to Germany. Yeah, you know, and, and, and thanks for sharing that, because now I think about it based on the job you were doing. Right. You know, you were working with. Um, tell us about this Munich Cowboys, American football cheerleaders. Tell us about that, because you had a very practical job. Right. It's almost right. like race didn't matter. Tell us about the Munich Cowboys and, okay. and what you did there. Well, I was while I was a fitness educator. Um, the manager of the Munich Cowboys, Munich Cowboys, they had an American football league. And we say American because in Europe, when you say football, it's soccer. So you have to distinguish between American football being that it's, it's, it's our, our game in America. Um, she had heard that I was a cheerleader. And, and while at Ohio State, I had, I had been on the national championship team where we had won the national championship. Um, one of the students had introduced me and I came out after class and she said, um, I heard you were a cheerleader and she didn't speak any English. So she's just being translated. Um, we have a, a league here, the, the girls cheering in, in English for the Munich Cowboys. It's kind of like a probably for us in America, a junior college. Um, and would you um, come and watch the girls? We need a coach. So I said, okay, well, tell me when practice is and I'll come. Uh, went to practice, um, all German girls. They don't, they don't have a school affiliation. So it was from, I think the youngest was probably 15 and the oldest was 20, 21. So some were in school and some were working jobs. Of course, obviously, cheerleading is an American sport. So I watched their practice. They're cheering in English and, you know, doing their football cheers and things. And, you know, I'm thinking they really are terrible. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, they really need help. Um, You know, I had the time, you know, they practice were in the evening where when I wasn't teaching or I I arranged my schedule. And um, I just started working with them for their, their football. And it was a little challenge because I was learning German, but it was, it wasn't perfect yet. So we, some of the girls could speak English and translate, and you know, um, they would say it back to me in German and then I would, you know, so my ear developed really quick. They could talk to me 
totally in German and I understood. So my ear got really good. Um, and then I just kind of had to start from scratch, teaching them the basics, um, you know, how to stunt, you know, how to jump. Um, oh, they smoked. <laughs> so yes. that was the, the number one rule. Okay, first rule, no smoking at practice. <laughs> no smoking in no, uniform. Not, not just not smoking in life, but not smoking <laughs> at practice, right? Okay, we're going to take a break. And so they're lighting up, you know, and I'm just like, oh, no, cheerleaders don't smoke. So, you know, they were not in condition. I had to give them a, a, a conditioning program to do um, because in order to be a cheerleader, to hold someone or to throw someone, you have to be strong. So I just kind of took them under my wing. We started with them just um, uh, with their games, which were in the summer. And then they came to me and said, hey, we have a champions, cheerleading championship here. And I said, okay, let me see. And they, they showed me the video. And I was like, wow, you know, they were just, you know, they were making it up as they, as, as it went along. They were showing videos, you know, I was watching like them performing to like two live crew, <laughs> you know, you know, explicit lyrics. And uh, so I was like, wow, late 80s, this, I'm getting it. Yeah, yeah, right. So um, they were, they were like, you no, know, this is a great song and we're going to dance to it. So just w- working with them, starting the championship. Um, and then I was the only American coach at that time over there. This was probably early nineties, early to mid nineties. Um, so American coach black, you know, um, so the, the championships were a little, little, little challenging because as we, as I worked with them, of course they started getting better and we were kind of head and shoulders above, you know, the other team. So that's kind of how, um, um, well, I should say, go back. The book was, I have a client that is a, a New York, um, New York times bestseller, Martha Hall okay. Kelly. Okay. You want to ask me? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. Um, <laughs> so Martha Hall Kelly, she's a client of mine uh, from, of 10 years and she writes, um, historical fiction. Okay. Uh, and so as a trainer, you're, uh, you have dual roles. You have, you're a trainer and you're a therapist. <laughs> so she would, she was getting her first novel made and we talked, you know, a lot about her first novel, but she would always ask me about my time in Munich and I would tell her and she, she would always say, Hey, that's a, you know, really incredible story. So Amazon, the audible came to her and asked her, we want you to do an Amazon, um, an audible original. It's a short story called a novella, about 20,000 words. And so I thought, wow, this is great. What are you going to write about? She's like, I want to write about you. And I said, you want to write about me? And she said, yeah, I want to pitch your story and we're going to co-write this book. And so that happened at the end of 2020. And then we started writing last year and um, it was just uh, released in February. So that's how um, the Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders um, Audible book came about. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I love that story. As they say, fortune favors the prepared. So you're just living your life, right? With a story to tell, you're sharing that story. But then, you know, somebody's appreciating it, which goes back to my point. If we don't tell our stories, then who will? Now, tell me this based on some of the things you said, because, you know, I don't want you to tell the whole book because I want people to download Mm -hmm. it. But, you know, give us some of the... um, I don't know. Let's just go to, you know, my final question. And I asked, you know, Betty, these questions, you know, based on what your eyes have seen, you know, next week we're going to be talking about anti-blackness, 
social justice, policing, and reparations. We're going to bring in some speakers who, you know, coach and teach police officers, you know, about, you know, um, how to relate, you know, to different cultures. We're going to talk about anti-blackness at universities. This, mm-hmm. this, 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 this sentiment where throughout our institutions, there's not just, hey, we like black people, we don't like black people. There's a anti-blackness type of behavior going on. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on that is similar but different from what your eyes have seen. Mm-hmm. So as you begin to think about, you know, passing that baton to that next generation, what would be some of your thoughts? Would you consider that society has improved, remained the same, gotten worse? But what would be your recommendation for these next generations of people? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I would say to them would be don't be afraid to fail I, I think that we're we're we are um the younger generation and I talk to you know uh, nieces and, and nephews and and I think it's a little they don't like to step out of the, no one likes to step out of their comfort zone and um I think that it was it my advice would be to you know, definitely take that, that, um, go ahead and jump and, and the opportunity will come. Um, and, and that's basically what happened to me. You know, I, I just said, look, I'm not happy. I'm going to try this out. Um, I started my, my company there in, in Germany. I, I started Fit Bodies. I started uh, initially in the classified saying, Hey, American trainer here in Munich and built my business there. Um, and then I just kind of never looked back. Um, the, the corporate was a, a thing of the past. And, you know, I was I was in a Fortune 500 company. So that's why my parents were like, OK, now you have the stock options and you got the car and, you know, and you have the salary, and you have the bonuses. You know, why are you throwing this away just to pursue, you know, fitness? So, um, again, I always thought that was a safety net. So to, to come back, I, I did have something to come back to. But. Definitely not uh, afraid to fail, you know, give it a shot. You know, you, you never know. You never want to think, as I say, if I would have, could have, should have. And that's what I yeah. thought when I went there. I said, you know what? You're going to have the opportunity to experience different cultures is what I did. I, I traveled to different countries. I mean, that's something that you can't learn in school. I mean, that that lifelong experience. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I love that because... You know, having that unapologetic, that adventurous spirit and then going off to Germany and experiencing obviously some things that are, let's just say, weird, Mm -hmm. that still there's no regrets. It seems like your experience was still very, um, you know, um, blessings, you know, opportunities. And it seems like you probably wouldn't have done anything differently. That, you yeah. know, don't be afraid to fail. And Tamika actually just dropped your website in the okay. chat, Fit Bodies. Tell us about what you do at Fit Bodies. You're located in Atlanta. You know, do you take new customers or clients? Tell us, oh, what, yes. what do you guys do at Definitely. Fit Bodies? Because I know you also are avid cycler. I'm surprised you didn't say it that bad. <laughs> so tell us about you, avid cycler, and yes. Fit Bodies. Well, Fit Bodies, again, I started that in, in, in Munich when I was there. And I absolutely love what I do. Because the the best job that I have is to improve people's quality of life. That's what I do every day. I, I love when my clients say, 
I, I'm, I'm coming off this medication because I've lost weight or I'm healthy or I can now get up off the floor. You know, my 80 year olds, um, I can now carry groceries into the car, into the house where I never could do that before. Um, I, I train triathletes. I'm actually, I'm a triathlete. So I'm a cyclist and a swimmer and a runner. Wow. <laughs> so um, that's my hobby is triathl- uh, triathlons. And I train um, a couple, have a couple clients um, that are triathletes uh, on their own team USA, the world team. I'm the strength coach for Atlanta Tri Sisters. I love getting people of color in the sport because when I started in 2000, as a challenge to overcome a fear of open water swimming. I was the only one out there in early 2000s. So now it's so nice to be able to bring people of color into the sport with, now we have Black Triathletes Association, Atlanta Tri Sisters, you know, we have Black Girls Run, Black Men Run, Black Girls Bike, Black, I mean, so it's so nice to, um, to be able to pull up uh, more people in co- of color to say, you know, you can do multi-sport or you can do anything. So fit bodies, I train all ages um, and I'm um, here in Atlanta, but uh, the, the blessing with the, if you could say a blessing in COVID has put me online training. So now oh. I train, I have clients in New York, I have clients in Connecticut, I have DC, I have, so I'm able to branch out of Atlanta online and and train um people as well wow tell us about that i didn't know you did you know you know training virtually so how does that work do they connect with you on your website do they hit you up on ig how does that work well i either do zoom or we do um uh you know facetime or google duo or what have you um when when 2020 hit and we had to go online obviously with this uh, pandemic we had to be healthy so I instructed them on what to, to, to equipment to do at home. It doesn't take much, you know, some bands, some uh, ball, you know, you don't have to have a lot of weight equipment because, you know, you do body weight. Um, so we started, I started um, strictly training online. And then a lot of my clients were this, you know, in Jersey were, that had moved said, great, I haven't found a trainer here. I can, you know, now work with you. So um, we just work just like I'm talking to you, a hey, pick up the ball and pick up these weights and do this exercise. So I am, I am online, um, which actually was a, is, was a blessing because it really helped me last year when I was writing and editing the book. The creativity has sparked. So you guys heard it here <laughs> first. I will be asking Kathy Murray back to Southern Soul because I've been trying to catch these yoga instructors and all of these other people. I'm like, you know, I need to surprise the people at Southern Soul with some physical activity. You know, I'm always mm-hmm. trying to get brand new and create something new. But now that I know, Kathy, yep. that I you already anywhere. doing it, I now know where to find you. This has been awesome. I'm going to bring back Miss Betty for some Q&A. And Tamika and Kathy, you know, um, for the audience, you know, um, this would be a great opportunity to ask questions directly to the speakers. And while we're waiting on questions, Miss Betty, still there? Yes, I'm still unmuted. Awesome. What do you think about um, Kathy's story? Um, yeah, I particularly enjoyed the, um, well, there were two things I liked about her story. The first of all, having the courage to launch out into something that she was passionate about that maybe nobody else supported. That's key because I think that's a lot of our struggles. Um, and, and the fact that there is success on the other end of that, 
um, is just encouraging um, because I think a lot of us are just fearful to launch out into the deep. So that was one piece. But I also really wanted to, I would like to connect with you because part of the struggles that I have having, you know, I'm in my late 60s now is trying to, you know, get some type of exercise program. You know, everything has changed physically for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and although my diet is not that bad, I think the part I'm challenged with the most is the exercise. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I could do something and then I need like a, you know, at least an hour nap <laughs> to get to recover. <laughs> and that's just not a good way to live. Right, you right. Know, exactly. I, I, I want to call it Operation Biceps. Can we see some biceps, Katie? Yeah. Look, look at those biceps. It's crazy, right? <laughs> Why are your biceps? I, I'm, I'm kind of like a little feeling some kind of way, Kathy. <laughs> you don't come on my show and just flex your biceps. Okay, I'm okay. I stop, stop. Okay, Katie, you, we got to catch up. With, with Kathy, because Kathy doing her thing. I ain't going to be swimming and running no bike in the water and stuff, but I'm just saying, um, how about, how do we get our biceps better, Kathy? Any recommendation for the audience on how to get the biceps, you know, looking like anime Bullock from what's love got to do with it? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's one of those, um, you know, it's that saying where, um, you know, use it or lose it. Oh. If you don't use it, you're not going to, you know, have any any type of, you know, just muscle, just strength is important to do everything, everyday functional strength. I mean, I work with my 70, 80 year olds just for balance and things that they're just doing around the house. So it's not all about, I mean, of course, everyone wants to look a certain way, but, you know, I concentrate on the functional strength of what are you going to be able to pick up your grandkid? You know, are you going to be able to get up off the couch? Are you going to be able to balance or not fall? Are you, if you're going to get on the floor, are you going to be able to get up? So just things like that, that we have to have every day that, that we don't think about, especially as we get older. Yes. Yes. Lose it, uh, use it or lose it. I hadn't thought about that when it comes to muscle and density, but that's what they say about, you know, men and, and people, I guess, if you don't use your muscles, you will lose it. Katie seems like you're thinking, what question you got for the speakers? I'm thinking so much. Um, I honestly really loved Miss Betty's question. And, you know, it was about about fitness, right, and wellness. And Kathy started talking about, you know, functional fitness. And I do think, as, as you talked about, you know, bringing, bringing Kathy back on the show, um, I do think it's important. And, and we'd love to hear more from you, Kathy, in terms of if you think about decade by decade, sort of. Yeah. What are the kind of things that we should be mindful of when it comes to fitness and when it comes to functional fitness? You know, what are what are the simple things that we can do day to day? Well, you know, when people always ask me, where do I start? You know, the biggest thing I tell people to do is walk. <laughs> you know, walking is free. You start moving. That's the biggest thing. I mean, you know, you can walk around your neighborhood. I mean, you know, make sure make sure it's safe, but, um, you know, just walk. That's free. Um, and then, you know, then they say, well, okay, where, where can I start with um, strength training? Well, just, you know, like a squat. A squat is basically sitting down in your chair and standing up. So when my clients complain about, I hate these, it's like when you lose that ability to get up out of the chair and you have mm. to have somebody help you, you're, you're in assisted living. 
So mm. let's Ooh. do the squats. <laughs> you know, you know how to motivate people. Good Lord, don't, don't she paint a picture, Katie? She like, I ain't. <laughs> real, real, real. <laughs> she like, keep playing if you want to. She said, what, what she say? Mess around and found out. That's what she say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's true. I mean, you want to be able to live independently. Right. And, you know, so my 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 older clients with, you know, fall prevention, prevention and balance and just being able to get up. I had my 80 year old the other day said, you know, my friend, I had to help her off the couch. She just pops up. But I've been I started working with her like in her 70s, you know, so it's never too late to start. Um, but you have to start somewhere. And, you know, having someone to help with your form and not jumping into things like Betty, you were saying, okay, I'm tired. You know, there's a gradual progression that you have to do where you're not just, you know, putting it all out there and then having nothing left, you know? So there's a way to do it. There is a way to do it. Do we have any questions for either of our speakers? Thank you, Tamika, for putting the um, websites and the Facebook and everything else in the chat. We cannot be this quiet. Yeah, I, I, I just want to say also, because Miss Betty was talking about writing, I have to tell you that I had tried to, I had um, written a fitness book first. I had to have a hip replacement five years ago. So I had to, I wanted to do a fitness book on how to come back from a hip replacement. And I'm shopping it and everybody's saying no. <laughs> and then I got the, the Audible deal. So you just never know where God says, okay, well, that was cute and all to start with, but this is the book that you're going to start with, which right. is the Munich Cowboy Cheerleader. So you just never know that path. As I say, with the GPS, you can go on another path and it'll, it'll recalculate and you're still getting to the same goal. So, um, all right. That's all right. You know, Betty, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Katie. <laughs> uh, Miss Betty, you talked about going back to school. I think you said late fifties, early sixties, if I'm not mistaken, you know, uh -huh. that is, that's a heck of a step to take. And, and I'm curious, you know, what were sort of some of your fears and how did you get beyond that hesitation that so many of us have when we're doing something and we feel like we're a little bit, um, I want to say out of order or late or slow or whatever in doing it. How did you, how did you overcome that? Um, I think for me, it was really more a matter, not so much overcoming, but recognizing that I had finally, finally found something that I really wanted to do. And I needed the, edu well, in my opinion, I needed the educational component to go with it, to give me credence for, you know, me establishing my business and, you know, on paper. Um, and so... Um, I, I think that one of the challenges that I found out is that mentally you don't connect the dots as quickly when you get older. Um, so that was kind of challenging. But um, I think one of the things that helped me was that I wasn't in a long tier program. You know, it was just the I, I went to read, graduated from Regent, and so um, part of they were they had developed a human services program as an offshoot to their psychology and counseling department. And they had set it up for one year, which worked out perfectly for me because it was like, I'm just not ready for, you know, three, four years at this point. You know, and I was doing it online. Online is a whole different beast from being in person. Um, and, you know, just the reading material and, you know, taking quizzes, you know, I'm at a point in my life where, you know, it's that's just rough for me right now. Not because I don't, 
mentally process things, but just, you know, I think I don't have the patience levels mm-hmm. anymore. It's like not something that I want to do anymore. Um, yeah. So that was kind of what my process was. You know, Kitty, what I love about what you said is that it was a couple things, right? Is that, you know, we all have these challenges, right? These fears, these phobias, right? But what she really mentioned is she found, she said she figured out what she really liked. I like that, right? And then I call that passion, right? She figured out what she's passionate about. And then she got real practical. She's like, look, I ain't doing this for four or five years. You know what I mean? Give me what you got, right? So, but she, she stayed practical, right? She didn't, she didn't get all out of control. She, you didn't hear her say she want to go get a PhD in chemistry. That's not what she said. She said, you know, I figured out what I liked. <laughs> and I let that get me through there. And I got a good program. So I appreciate that. Well, this has been an awesome segment. And I appreciate both of you for sharing your stories of letting us know what your eyes have seen. And this is the segment where I begin to let people know what to expect for next week. And this is the first time we've done this, you know, actually it's not the first time, we've done it differently. Um, We started last year um, doing what our eyes have seen and it began to kind of just talk about, you know, and Katie, I think you created that because you were talking about your dad and, you know, some of the conversations you have with your dad. And, you know, in the conversation would always have a theme and the theme would what my eyes have seen. And I think your dad just turned 80 last year, last week, right? Right. 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 So, you know, and I, I love that because what it does is it gives us an opportunity to, as Miss Betty says, to really, really begin to listen, right? And respect. And as we talk about this, we often talk about Southern Soul as a way to connect the generations and to really do that. But then, you know, the how. But, you know, I love this segment of what our, what your eyes have seen because we really need to listen to that in the environment of sometimes when we don't hear those stories, then we begin to repeat those stories or not begin to benefit from those stories. And there's so much value there, but those are just my thoughts. I'm just excited about it. No, I hear you. And I think the other part of that is, you know, when we post people's contact information and websites and stuff like that, I really want to encourage people to go and take a look, right? And to keep on learning, to keep asking the questions. Um, It's just, you know, and I I say that to myself as much as everybody else, right? Because I think there's so many uh, good things that good people that you bring to us. And it's really important for us to get all we can from them. Um, We got to learn. I love the phrase that was given to us. We call them the hidden gems of the community. So if you guys are listening and you know of any hidden gems of the community, definitely let us know because we're often trying to give them the spotlight. Because I remember when I was doing web design, Katie, finding those, um, you know, initial customers or getting started, it was hard, right? And, you know, and you're just trying, like Miss Betty said, we're trying to help other people. But if you're trying to help other people, it shouldn't be hard. To, to help other people, right? So that's one thing we do here at Southern Soul. We're not about selling. We're not about, you know, heart, whatever. We're about helping. We're about community. So I'm going to play some of my favorite songs. And, you know, I'm going to try not to hit any KD's ratchet music. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.